so here we are with Nick Arsinaga, um, he's a longtime buddy of mine. Uh, it's really welcoming to have him as a guest. So, Nick, you want to say hi? Hey guys, how you guys doing? Good, good. Um, and then, as always, it's myself, Jesse, and Michael Farmer. Hey everybody. Um, so, Nick, you kind of want to give us a little bit of your background, just in, in the sport of running and, and your upbringing. Yeah, so um, I grew up in Southern California, uh, did start running, training specifically for running until high school, uh, went out for the track and cross-country team to get in shape for soccer, and found out that I was a lot better at running than I was at soccer, so kind of just stuck with it from there, uh, eventually developed uh, through uh, my coach's high mileage program to getting um, a scholarship at Cal State Fullerton, where I was... Uh, somewhat of a rival of Jesse's. I guess we raced each other a handful of times, but we didn't really know each other at the time. Um, but yeah, I ran at Cal State Fullerton for a few years before eventually uh, graduating and moving up to the uh, marathon pretty quickly right afterwards. And since then, just been more or less uh, specifically a marathoner. Yeah, so let's, why don't you just quickly go over a few of your accolades. Uh, we could always embellish it, of course, but. Oh, oh of course, I mean. <laughs> Like the best on the list will probably be I got the U.S. championship, a U.S. title back in uh, 2013 in Twin Cities. Um, I've got four top ten finishes at World Marathon Majors, uh, highest being uh, seventh place at the 2014 Boston Marathon, and I've run 211 uh, four times. Very nice. So one of the things uh, that I kind of picked up on there when you went straight from from college kind of to the marathon, which is not something a lot of the guys do, uh, especially I feel like in the U.S. these days. Um, it seems to be something that people move to later in their uh, professional running career. So what kind of drove you to going straight to the marathon? Uh, so most of the college, I was kind of middle distance focused in track. I'd run the 800 and 1500 primarily, uh, but never really had the improvement that I was hoping for, expecting uh, coming from like my PRs in high school. So finally, by my senior year, I bumped up to the uh, 5K and had a uh, pretty successful senior season uh, for track and then kind of just realized, oh, hey, maybe I should be doing more longer distance stuff. And then I still have a year of school after my eligibility right now. So I still train with the team every single day and kind of just added in a few extra uh, runs and workouts here and there, kind of play with my mileage a little bit more. Uh, started getting into some road races, half marathons, and 10Ks, and eventually found out like the longer I went, the more competitive I was against the, the race competition in the area, and just decided in my last semester during school that I was going to run my first marathon and see where that took me, because I'd always had it in my back of my mind uh, throughout college that I wanted to make it like Olympic trials, like 1500 and 5K were kind of what it was on my mind at the time, but as I discovered the longer distance events then it's like okay maybe i should shoot for a marathon and see where i land with that sure yeah and then after your debut you could probably explain where and what your debut marathon was and then what doors kind of opened after that yeah so uh i trained with a little bit of the calco uh, coaches out in california and they had uh, a couple of other marathon guys that were specifically running to train for that but like uh did a lot of it on my own, running 110 to 120 miles a week, uh, just kind of intermixing runs with uh, high school kids that I was coaching, the college kids I was uh, helping out tra train, and, and uh, debuted in 2006 at the Chicago Marathon, 
And from there, I ran 216.58 in my first one, qualifying myself for the trials by about three minutes. And going into the race, I had hoped to run just under 220. And 222 was like the B standard, but like being three minutes under the 220 A standard was like significantly like eye-opening for myself. Like, hey, um, maybe I should have been doing like longer distance up all along. Like definitely going to be just have to focus on the marathon from here on out. And from there, I had actually run that race with a majority of the time with a couple of Hanson's Brooks uh, Distance Project athletes uh, based out of Michigan. And... Uh, had a buddy who knew another guy that knew the guys on the team and kind of make some network connections and got a, a little bit of an interview and toured out Michigan and eventually got recruited to be on their team as well. So I moved out to Michigan to start training more specifically as a professional marathoner. Nice, yeah. So I think, you know, from what I've heard of the Hansons over the years, did, did you have to, like, work at the running store there when you were part of the program or what was kind of the lifestyle as a, as a Hansons athlete? So, yeah, most of the guys will, like, uh, live at a house that the team owned that uh, Brooks helped pay for. And basically, you lived rent-free. You had your expenses to races paid for. You had gear. You had shoes. Um, basically, all your expenses were covered other than food. And then um, most of the guys worked at the running shoe stores as well, about 25 to 30 hours a week, just to get some supplementary income. It wasn't necessary. Sure. And if you had other prospects in your life, like if you wanted to, uh, like there's a couple guys who worked at the hospital or worked with the uh, coaching uh, aspects where they didn't work at stores because they had other like career goals, then you're allowed to do that on your own. But if you wanted to work at the store, you basically had a position just kind of uh, spoon-fed to you. And I had worked at a the Snail's Pace running store down in uh, Southern California for about two or three years before moving out to Michigan. So I had already had experience in that uh, realm. So yeah. going to the uh, Hansons and starting to work at stores and just training for the marathon was pretty uh, comparable to what I was already doing. So like who all were you training with at Hanson when you moved out to Michigan and kind of how did that uh, having those teammates compared to, to running with the Cal State Fullerton and guys? Uh, so the guys that I uh, moved out there and started training with, like I had moved out in 2007, so everybody that was there on the team was basically going to be focused on training for the uh, the trials the following November. Um, it's trying to get to the 2008 Olympics. So Brian Sell was our top guy on the team, and he ended up making the Olympic team uh, at the for the 2008 uh what was that Beijing Olympics yeah. and then there was another handful of guys who were 214 to 215 uh, marathoners and then another my, myself at 216 and then another few guys uh, from 217 to 219 as well so there's about 13 of us all under 220 that are all training together just to get the best out of each other and try to make the Olympics and compared to the guys at Cal State Fullerton like those guys like not to knock on them or anything like that, but like any college team, you're not going to have like the high caliber marathoners to train with, especially sure. when uh, college guys are training for 8K cross country, 10K at the most. Uh, and then like more specifically during track, anywhere from 800 to 10K. So just the difference in like the quality and the type of workouts that I would be able to get from having the teammates at Hanson's was just so much better than I had at Fullerton because most of the time I was going to be running alone. Um, back at home but with 
the Hanson's group, I wouldn't have to add on anything to the loops. I'd just go for a 14-mile run where we can just do a 14-mile loop and everybody's doing the same exact thing. I wouldn't have to add on uh, four to six miles just to get the extra distance over what the college guys would, would be doing. Right. Yeah, a lot more serious guys there. Yeah. So um, I guess we can quickly, from there, just kind of chronologically move, like fast forward to where you are now. Just maybe talk about the transition, um, the different... Uh, professional groups you've been with and then uh, then we have a whole list of awesome questions to ask you but, Good. Um, but yeah but if you want to <laughs> if you want to kind of just keep going chronologically um, just highlight a few interesting things or significant things in your your career that'd be awesome yeah yeah so uh, I spent about three years with the Hanson group learning from the coaches there learning from my teammates uh, obviously Olympian Brian Sell was a great mentor for me and then a few of the other guys as well being 214 uh, marathoners, just kind of trying to figure out what it took to train myself for the marathon, what was working through that system. Um, but after three years, I kind of had enough with Michigan in general. Like the weather, more or less, was like the, a big uh, negative for me. I was just like always feeling like a little bit upset or depressed. Like not enough sunlight during the winter and the summers were just balmy and humid, which I we grew up in a more arid, warm climate, yeah. so it was a little bit different with that, so it kind of wore me down. Yeah, you didn't like sliding um, around on the ice? Yeah, 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 I wiped out a few times, but like that, you know, that's my own fault, being a little bit more sure-footed. <laughs> just uh, got to make sure that I uh, learned how to run in the ice and snow as well. But yeah, it, it kind of wore down on me over uh, the three years I was there. Um, I did still... Uh, improved my marathon time down to 2.13, which was a significant jump at that level. Um, but then right after that, I uh, had decided that I was, wanted to give altitude a try. So I ended up moving to um, Flagstaff and joining the uh, McMillan group. And on my way there, I actually uh, stayed with Jesse and his uh, old house roommates <laughs> for uh, a night as they let me sleep on their couch. Yeah, our Edith house. We tried to convince you to to move to, to Albuquerque. Yeah. <laughs> Did, it, it wasn't in my plan. I'm sorry. It was yeah, just, I, no. I, had, I had an idea of what I wanted, and Flagstaff was uh, an altitude center where I had a college teammate who was training up there with the McMillan group, and it was a lot closer to uh, where Carolyn was in Cal State Fullerton, so I'd be able to get out to see her a little bit more easily than from Albuquerque. Sorry, Jesse. Darn. <laughs> Life just got in the way. Yeah, that's yeah, okay. And uh, wasn't Alan also trying to influence you to, to live in Albuquerque? Yeah, yeah. Alan was a teammate of mine at Hanson's, and he was uh, living at that house with you, uh, with his fiance at the time, now his wife. Yep. Um, but yeah, uh, just, you know, never, you guys were never going to be able to convince me. I already had my mind made up. Uh, yeah, <laughs> no, I know. I know. So. <laughs> <laughs> it was fun. It was a fun run, though. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I went to Blackstaff, was on the McMillan team, and uh, started just uh, tweaking my training um, uh, regimen a little bit to uh, what Greg McMillan had us doing, which was a little bit more uh, specific to racing in the marathon rather than the Hanson method. It's more just like pacing a marathon. Um, so it's kind of like getting my mind wrapped around, like running faster and competing against like the African guys and just trying to get my marathon time as close to a 209 performance as possible. So while with Greg, I had some big highs and some really big lows, uh, 
putting in myself out there, just racing some, shooting for some really fast times. Just like, I had some great successes. Like I ended up running to 11 for uh, Greg by like, three times, but I also ended up running some of my slower marathons as well. I ran two 17, two 18 a number of times as well. Just kind of blowing up the last 10 K of some of these races. So, um, put myself out there with his training regimen, kind of believed into what I was more capable of, but like some of the times just didn't have it there on the day and kind of faded towards the end. But yeah. So who all else was in the McMillan group at this time? And how did that connection between you and Greg like initially happen? Like, like obviously you didn't just drive to Flagstaff and show up and say, Hey, I'm going to be a part of your group. I'm assuming. <laughs> Right, right. So I called him up, like one of my college teammates uh, from Calcium Fullerton. Uh, he was uh, one of the guys on the team as well. He was a 29-minute 10K guy, uh, 13.30 5K, and like a 3.58 miler. So he was a little bit more of a speedier end. I was more of a distance end. All through college, we like would always push each other one way or the other. Like I'd drag him through the long runs, and he'd drag me through the track workouts. So I wanted to train with him again, and he was on Greg's team. So he got me in contact. Uh, with Greg, and we had a little like sit-down interview and a recruiting trip. Same thing as I had with Hanson. Same thing most people have at their colleges, and just uh, decided basically that I was a good fit for the team. And the guys on the team at the time, like their Brett Gotcher had just run 2:10 in the marathon, so I was really looking forward to training with him. Um, they had a British athlete, Andrew Lemoncello, who had run 2:13, and a couple other guys were like 62 to 64. Uh, minute half marathoners with uh, Andrew Collar, Andrew Carlson, Andrew Milton, and a handful of other guys that recently also well, actually, actually joined the team right after I had joined. So Aaron Braun, Scott Smith, guys who are two twelve marathoners now had just joined the team when I had as well. Got it. Yes. So uh, one of the things you kind of touched on in, in your very first intro was. Uh, you mentioned your your high school coach's high mileage program, and that's how you got your scholarship. Is that uh, how do you define a high mileage high school program? Uh, so yeah, it's just basically his training philosophy. He went through his high school program from the late seventies into the early eighties, and his coach was a very high mileage uh, advocate as well. And from the day he started, my sophomore year, he was like pushing us to run like eight to 10 mile runs on a daily basis and just kind of getting our volume much, much higher than like what we were doing my freshman year. Um, we gradually built up our, we resisted a little bit. So we gradually built up to the higher mileage. But by the time I got to my senior year, I was running uh, the summer before uh, the start of my senior cross country season. I'd run like 75 miles a week uh, with the uh, topping out at a hundred miles for one of those weeks. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, now, that I would consider anything over 40 higher mileage for a high school kid, but like, yeah, I was doing about double that. Yeah, I, I can relate a little bit, um, even though like I was a middle distance guy growing up, my, my high school cross country coach uh, did um, really longer distance stuff. He did ultras, and so you know, he was always kind of the same as, as your coach, just that background of just, you know, really build that, you know, aerobic um, fitness up and... Uh, you know, just do some sharpening whenever you need to but when you're at that age you know you're so you know you're developing so much that you don't need that much speed work and so he's just trying to really develop that aerobic end as much as he could uh yeah. and, and it, it suited his ability to train with us a little bit more because uh he was 
he could bring the pain for a, a 10 mile tempo, but I don't think he could have done a stride in under 17 seconds to save his life. So. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. And my, the high miles program, it gets a uh, bulk of the athletes uh, to maximize their potential. Yeah. But for a lot of like the varsity guys, it probably was more of a detriment. If you have a little bit more talent, you're a little bit more uh, viable to getting injured. Yeah. Yeah. From what I've seen. So kind of, it was a give and take. So playing, tweaking with the system was always. Uh, necessary when I started helping out and coaching with him because uh, he started coaching the girls team when I was uh, helping out and getting some of them to higher volume was not quite the best of ideas but he got the the girls team to the state meet and finished as high as second place as a team like six years in a row so there was success that was drawn out of it however not many of them actually performed or ran in college so yeah. there was a big fall off from like a statistical analysis in that sense. So there wasn't the long-term successes that you would hope to see. Yeah, so I think it's a good segue into, uh, you know, another big part of your life right now with the, the Arsene area training plans and your coaching background. Can you kind of walk us through uh, your history in coaching? Because it sounds like, obviously, from that last comment, you started pretty young. Yeah, yeah, I started, like, uh, building training plans, like, and working with the high school team, even when I was in college. So I'd always go back and, like, train with them over the summer and, helping out so I always had like a little bit of background and understood like the different training systems even though I got my degree in accounting and finance I was always been a numbers and math guy and kind of analytical in that sense so I could see the uh, fluctuations of what different uh, training systems were doing just based off like numbers and paces and that sort of thing Um, but yeah after college and even um, throughout my entire time like in Hanson's and then in um, uh, Flagstaff. I was always wanting to like help the kids out that I had known, so I would build training programs for them and like help them out, just like do stuff for free, just like let them know like this is what I feel like would benefit you the most in terms of, like this type of training, just getting different periodizations and whatnot. And then a few years ago, I finally just with the encouragement of my wife, uh, got. Arsenal uh, training plans up and running, and just basically opened up like training plans um, for uh, all athletes all over the world, really, and just kind of helping people train more or less for marathons. There's some athletes that I do work with, like for 5Ks or shorter, just uh, periodically, but just kind of something that I've been passionate about and enjoy doing and helping people improve. And um, I also do coaching on the side here in. Salt Lake City, and when I was in Flagstaff, I was coaching uh, group, the community group as well. Nice, yeah. And I was just going to ask, too, like, how, how would you balance that, the coaching aspect with working as well as your own personal go- goals with running? Um, and, um, and a lot of it comes down to just <clears throat> having a timeline, just knowing, like, it, it's been a little bit more difficult this past year, just, like, being up closer to 40-plus hours a week at work that – when I have time to just relax, that's all I want to do. But then, you know, just sit down and on a Sunday, just when I try to get all my communication done for the coaching or like building the train plans on those days or just uh, getting back and forth with athletes, just texting them and getting feedback or checking Strava to see how they've been doing for the past week or two and kind of just planning my Sundays where I have a lot more free time because it's Salt Lake City out here. A lot of places are closed. My place of business is closed on Sunday so always have a Sunday off 
Um, another thing you kind of touched on was uh, you had a recruiting trip both at Hanson's and with McMillan, and, and even I, I'm always curious, um, just other colleges compared to the one that I ran at. What you know, it's not it's not a you know the, the glamorous sport. Obviously, there's not a lot of um, you know shady money under the table or anything like that to get to get runners in. So um, my my undergrad, our recruiting trips were um, dinner and bowling, <laughs> which is not. Yeah. Not the sexiest sell, so I'm, I'm curious kind of what each of, each of your, both your college and then your pro teams, kind of what a recruiting trip looked like. Yeah, what did the elders do? <laughs> so elders, he brought me out. I watched one of the uh, practices uh, for the Fullerton guys and then sat down with elders at a meeting, chatted with him for about half an hour, and then he took me on campus tour, which lasted about an hour, Jeez. and that was pretty much it. That was my recruiting trip to Fullerton. Sold you. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I, I had already been sold. I had already made up my mind, Jesse. I knew I was going to go there. Okay, okay. Do you, do you know what the workout was that you watched them do? <laughs> um, I do not remember that, no. You know, I did the recruiting trip with elders, and he did. He just walked me around campus. It definitely wasn't yeah. an hour, and I don't think I sat with him for 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, elders told me years later, like, he's like, oh, yeah, Nick, when you sat down on that recruiting trip and you, we talked, like, you looked so disengaged. I seriously thought that you were not going to come to my school. So, like, <laughs> he didn't communicate with me, like, for a couple months after that. But he gave me the, the, the scholarship, like, requirements or, like, the uh, the goals. Like, basically run 419 in the 1600, and he'll offer me a scholarship. So um, that was, that's what I made for my goal that track season. And the day I ran 419, I uh, got in t- contact with him. And a week later, I had signed my declaration of intent. Nice. And the handstands, what they do? Just give you a pair of shoes? or. <laughs> Hanson's was a little bit different. It was a three-day recruiting trip, so I went out there and stayed with a couple of guys. So, like, put you in a situation that you're going to be living in just if you're going to live at one of the houses, and the guys on the team will just chat with you all day long and basically take you on a run, show you what it's like, take you on their second run as well. And then the coaches will come by, pick you up, and uh, take you around to the different stores, that all four stores that they have, and all the uh, – specific workout places that they go to their gym that they go to just full tour all around like the uh rochester hills out there and, um just they take you out to a couple dinners the athletes will take you out to a couple dinners and um yeah just having uh what i would imagine like most like uh division one like pac-12 colleges would have for a recruiting trip sure yeah and then i know you and i have talked a lot about like the camaraderie of all the guys on the Hanson's team and all the crazy challenges you guys do. Do you want to share, or can you share any any of those uh, wild challenges, like the McDonald's challenge? Or yeah, know. we had two my uh, first year there, like right after we finished up the trials. Um, everybody was you know ecstatic that Brian had made the team, and they were like, okay, let's like this celebrate this party. Um, <laughs> just a lot of the guys were like just wanted to just drink a lot of beer and just relax for a bit. And uh, After our two-week break, they decided let's do a uh, beer 5K. And you, I'm sure most of the listeners have uh, heard about the beer mile where you drink a beer, run a lap, drink a beer, run a lap, and keep going until you have four beers in one mile. If you puke, you're disqualified or have to do a penalty lap, depending on the, uh, the race. Uh, the beer 5K, um, basically you have five beers over 5K, 
and you drink a beer, you run a mile, beer mile, beer mile, and then uh, beer, the last point one, and then you finish with chugging one more oh beer. My God. <laughs> that sounds awesome. And to let uh, the listeners know, like, I don't know what you guys' high school 5K PRs were, but I ran a 17.50 with five <laughs> beers. Oh, my God. Well, that's, that's sea level, so. <laughs> it, it was sea level. That was true. Michigan. <laughs> Jeez, that's impressive. Yeah, I've seen plenty of good runners that can't even do 17.50 for a, a beer mile. Well, a beer yeah. Mile guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, yeah, it is always interesting. You, you never really know. It's, at least that's what I've found going into those things, who will be good at those. It's not always the person that yeah. is in the best shape, not always the person that even drinks the most. It's just some sort of weird combination yeah. of having a lot of stomach space and, and uh, I don't know, just being uh, not prone to throwing up. <laughs> Yeah. And then another challenge we did, which Jesse mentioned, was the McDonald's cheeseburger challenge. So it's just a single cheeseburger. Uh, basically, you have half an hour to eat as many cheeseburgers as you can. <laughs> I didn't actually participate. I was just watching and counting. I was the um, support crew, okay. I would say. And the four of the guys ended up doing the challenge. Uh, Brian Sell won by a bite. He got like 10 in a bite. Oh, and... Um, then I think two of the four guys were constipated for about a week. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was before or after that Super Sucks Me documentary. Yeah. <laughs> Might have changed your, uh, your thought on, on doing that kind of a challenge. Dang. That's awesome. Did you live with guys when you were out there? Uh, like in a house yeah, situation? so I lived at one of the houses, the Driftwood House, as they call it. I, I think it's still around and re- uh, renovated and looking nicer than what we, the five guys of, that I lived with, made it look like. But I lived with guys like uh, Mike Morgan, Patrick Rizzo, uh, Josh Moen, guys at the time, like their 62 minute uh, half marathoners, 214 and now 213 marathoners. Yeah. Uh, Trent Riney lived with us, who was a 212 marathoner, finished fourth at the 04 trials. Led for um, a long ways. I remember yeah. watching that race. <laughs> yeah. So he, uh, yeah, he was there. Like there was like, uh, yeah, that, that was the crew I moved in with. And then as, as I lived there, guys moved out, other guys moved in, had a bunch of guys. Uh, Sage Candidate came and lived with us. Um, other names that you guys might know, like Dave Shankowski, he was like a 216 marathoner. Um, a couple like uh, 28 high 10K guys in and out. But there was a lot of turnover at the, on the Hanson's team. Yeah. It's a, it's a tough place to get in the rhythm if you're not already accustomed to, like, the higher volume, higher mileage type of training. Yeah. But three years is pretty good for any athlete to be there. And it sounds yeah. like you had a great career there, so. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and I lived with Alan Wagner, we've mentioned before, and uh, Jeff Eggleston is another one, a 210 marathoner now. Eggie. Yep. <laughs> We're going to try to get him on our show. Nice. Oh, yeah, Jeff. Yeah. You're, you're going to ask a question about... <laughs> uh, yeah, so down this list, I'll go down there. Uh, I was going to ask who was one of your biggest rivals uh, at, at the peak of your career, either at the Hansons or at McMillan or wherever you believe your the peak was, and who who may that be? At the peak of my career, guys who I'd go back and forth with a lot, like Jeff Eggleston was definitely there, Sergio Reyes oh, yeah. was definitely up there. Uh, and these are just guys like uh, that I would see more often at races. Um, 
I mean, there's other guys that I would see and like race against, but like either they would just always beat me or I would always beat them. So it like, wasn't really a, as much of like a rivalry as just like, we just were both in the same races and just clearly like defined where we would finish almost. Yeah. Um, but those two guys, I would see them a lot at different races and we'd be pretty close. You guys I definitely have a deep sin rivalry against, um, um, Joseph had Boyd in just one race. We only raced each other one time, but or over the marathon, and we went nose to nose basically for 26.1 miles at the marathon in Twin Cities. Wow. That was a tough race to try to kick at. Yeah, that's always interesting because I, I feel like in those situations, it's yeah, it's um, no love lost during the race, but then like afterwards, it's just like a, it kind of creates a bond for. Yeah, oh yeah career. definitely a friendly rivalry there's another guy like crystal landry like he beat me in anything other than marathon but it comes to marathon i beat him every single time <laughs> yeah. uh guys like scott smith same thing like we actually have kept count i think he's up on me like six to four races <laughs> uh of all distances yeah um so yeah just a bunch of stuff like that but then there's guys like meb i've never beaten yeah uh ryan hall i beat once and he's beaten me like a thousand times <laughs> Hey, oh. it's that one time that counts. Yeah. <laughs> but that, those are definitely good rivals to have. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, if you go to a World Marathon Major and you're, like, invited to the American where I was, like, you're racing Meb and Ryan pretty much every time. Yeah. Makes sense. You got uh, more questions you want to go through with them? Uh, I, I got a few, but we could, we could hit up some of yours. <laughs> I'll, I'll keep going at it. <laughs> Uh, we talked a little bit about your coaching. Uh, I was going to ask you to talk about uh, like your coaching philosophy and maybe do a plug on on your philosophy on coaching and the platform you kind of use. So I believe that every runner and every athlete is going to be different. So the training, the way I build my plans is going to be um, have a little bit of a template, but like everybody has a little bit different volume, a little bit different uh, pace control a little bit different like how many days are you going to run uh, so there's no flat out one way to train for any single race of any distance uh, so I like to like start off with analysis with a uh, uh, athlete get a little bit of the background what have they hit what they have done in the past what their times and PR have been what they distances they favored what workouts they favored and just take a full like range like of questions that I ask them have them fill out a questionnaire and just kind of get an idea of, like who they are and then I'll sit down and talk with them for about half an hour on the phone and just get a little bit more details out of it and just determine from my understanding of them what is going to make them successful and whether that's going to be like okay we need to focus more on like longer distance type stuff or if we need to focus on like speed oriented stuff and or maybe it's someone that only trains three days a week because of their um, lifestyle or like with work, then we got to focus this three workouts or two workouts on the long run and not really have time for like base and volume. So right. yeah. it, it, it's, it, it's played by ear for every like um, athlete. So just based off what they're able to accomplish in a given day or a given week. And then um, more or less, like I, I firmly believe that higher mileage is still going to make a majority of people better but just slowly building up that mileage like everybody talks about like that 10 percent development and jump um so I, I do definitely believe in that as well just kind of making sure that i 
when I build a training plan week by week, I'm not exceeding that or like even year by year, just slowly like creeping up. Like I have some athletes that are running like 25, 30 miles a week training for marathons, which is initially was difficult for me to comprehend. Like if they're going to be running 26 miles, how am I going to get them with only running 26 miles in a single week to uh, get to a marathon finish? But kind of as I've developed different plans, I got like a lot of more generic type training plans and like introductory and more advanced ones as well, where I have my templates where I can base my ideas off of and then just cycle through this variety of workouts from there. Yeah, so um, as a joke, because you do, you do uh, coach a few of the Dukes Track Club athletes, and um, yeah, a few of them have asked, which is your most favorite athlete? <laughs> <laughs> you, don't have to, you don't have to say it. I just had to say that. <laughs> yeah, I can't talk to you about that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is interesting, though. Um, I uh, had done some coaching um, more probably when I was kind of in college and, and my first few years out of college. Uh, and it, it's not always like the best, um, you know, pure performance that, that, uh, you remember the most, I guess, in terms of athletes you've coached, are there any that really stick in your mind as, as the ones where like you were, you know, really excited whenever it happened? Uh, like as an athlete? No, like as a coach, like for an athlete having a great race, um, that you were coaching. Uh, early on, like when I was coaching at the high school level, like I was actually the head distance coach, um, when I was training for my first marathon and I had an athlete who I started like mentoring basically more or less as uh, a sophomore and I got him to basically run from 18 minute, three mile as a freshman. And then I took him on as a sophomore by his senior year, he had run 14 48 i want to say for three miles nice. so just the gradual development and uh of his career is what uh kind of really excited me and yeah. like wanted me to, like, to continue coaching and he was one of the guys who i continued making training plans for a few years after college and he does his own thing now but you know <laughs> i still keep in contact with him every once in a while That's cool. eric eric dyson he's nice all right, what, um, what do you got? Uh, I've got my getting to know you questions if we want to hop to those. <laughs> yeah, that's it. So, uh, you know, I, I, like you said, you've done some of these podcasts before, Nick, and, and I think um, you know a lot of it is kind of running focused, but I always like to try to get to know the, the runner themselves a little bit better. So I've got just a couple uh, general questions to uh, find out a little bit about your background. Okay. So uh, if you can only watch one show for the next year, what would it be? Signed up. Do you feel like, um, I mean, I know a lot of people who could basically in any conversation reference something from Seinfeld. Is is that, are you one of those people? I can almost do that. I I mean, we watch too many shows that I got like too many like cross references. Got it. But I can reference a bunch of different shows. Right now we watch like New Girl all the time. We used to watch All Met Your Mother and we haven't seen Friends in a while, but we'll probably go through that one as our next uh one of our next ones, The Office, we just would watch that and quote that all the time. So a lot of shows like that in that realm. Yeah, no, that's a good choice. I love, love Seinfeld. Um, what is the first uh, cassette tape or CD that you ever purchased? Purchased? Oh, geez. 
Or was gifted, either one. Was or... gifted, I, I remember getting Bush, like one of their original albums back in 1996, I believe. It's <laughs> pretty good. Um, it was the same time as I got Third Eye Blind. I think they were actually a pair. I got them both for Christmas, and I, I, I definitely like Third Eye Blind a lot better than Bush. But... <laughs> I, uh, we recently uh, saw a Third Eye Blind in concert here in Albuquerque at a, uh, a venue and a casino. It was, um, they're, they're still the same. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're just act, acting the, the, uh, the California um, kind of beach surfer type of uh Person, yeah, personality. And I don't know how yeah. much of that was an actor, how much of that's really the front man just doesn't <laughs> care about anything. Um, what food could you not live without? What food? What food could I what? Not live without. Cheese. 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 Wow. Yeah. I, that's interesting. Like, do you have certain types of cheese that you prefer? No, it's just I. I most of my meals will have cheese on it. Like every, every, like whether it's mac and cheese or pizza or just some type of like um, Mexican dish with like shredded cheese added yeah. on top, just cheese is on everything. Yeah, because uh, I remember when Arlene and I came through Flagstaff and you were making some enchiladas. Well, mm -hmm. first off, how do you how do you do your enchiladas? Flat or rolled? Rolled. Yeah, that's what I thought. And then yeah. they're just doused in cheese, which, is, <laughs> which was amazing. So. Yeah. <laughs> I, like I mean, there's cheese inside the enchiladas, and there's cheese on top of the enchiladas. <laughs> Perfect. And then queso as What are your favorite alcoholic and non-alcoholic beverages? Uh, my go-to, if I am going to drink alcoholic beverage, will be a Bloody Mary. Mm. And my go-to non-alcoholic, if I were to drink it, would be Coke. I could have guessed that one. <laughs> um, so do you but, like do you like your bloodies spicy or yeah, mild? I love them spicy. I love them with the like, extra little condiments and toppings. Not condiments, but like extra like a uh, little piece of bacon and olive and just yeah. bunch of like stuff like that. Yeah. And then um, you just always drank Coke from when you were a kid because that's kind of how I feel like I I, I am really bad about. Uh, drinking soda I'm not um, as hooked as I was probably um, through my first 25 years of my life yeah. but I, it's something where I don't know it's just ingrained because it was like a treat when I was younger and then yeah yeah same type of thing like it, it was always a treat for me as well and like I definitely got hooked on it for a little bit but then I swore it off and like didn't have any soda for like five years straight while I was at Hanson's and a little bit after uh, but then I started having beaten soda again, and I have it periodically now, or kind of uh, since Chris, or since uh, the start of February, I've kind of cut back quite a bit. Okay. Usually around the holidays, I start drinking a lot more. <laughs> a lot, so, lot more soda. Drinking a lot more soda. <laughs> soda. It's liquid, uh, liquid candy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What's your all-time favorite scene from a movie? Honestly, I, I don't know, but the first one that popped in my head was from the movie Seven. What's in the box? What's in the box? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I wouldn't call that my favorite, but that's the first thing that popped in my head. Yeah, no, these questions are, are obviously, you know, not, not always going to have the, the answer that you <laughs> would come up with if, you know, you had a, a half an hour to think of it. So we like getting people kind of just caught on their toes and see what they say. And obviously, it's a, it's a powerful scene. Uh, with, yeah. 
with Brad there. <laughs> oh yeah. Yes. Yeah. He's uh, went to high school at, at a high school I coached at for a little while. They had basically a shrine to Brad Pitt there. So. <laughs> little, little Missouri nice. tie. <laughs> um, what musical artist would you be embarrassed to admit that you listen to and enjoy? I don't know about embarrassed. <laughs> that's good. You just own it, and you don't even yeah. have to. Yeah, that's good to not have any shame around that. And then the last one, just outside of running, what's your favorite sport to participate in? Uh, I always enjoyed soccer. I haven't played it in a while, but I definitely love watching it still. I saw you guys went to the one of the games just the other night. So we did last night. Yeah, yeah. it's a big deal for Albuquerque. It's huge. Um, so it was, yeah, yeah, so I'm hoping to get to a Real Salt Lake game here pretty yeah. soon. Just check that out. Yeah, so I, I remember you said in kind of your intro that you started as a soccer player and then transitioned to a runner, which is similar to myself. Do you have um, certain MLS teams you support or any European teams that you support? Or is it... No, I don't really have a team like. Baseball, I have the Dodgers. Yeah. Um, hockey, I, I would say the Ducks. But like with MLS, I never really got into like professional MLS as much. Like I would probably accept the Galaxy as being my team if yeah. I were to have ever paid attention to them. But like <laughs> more or less, I, I pay attention like to the global scene more yeah. than uh, anything local. Yeah, understandable. I got one last one. Um, so if you could live anywhere in the world. Where would you live and why? Um, based off where I've visited, like I'm just crossing U.S. off the list just because like it seems so general. Um, Japan, it, it seems like a really like fun culture out there and like awesome food. Like I visited Tokyo a couple times and it was always enjoyed it. Yeah, you got to, you got invited to a few races there. Do you want to kind of mm -hmm. share those? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so that one, like, uh, it's the race I went to um, is a 30K out in Ome, Japan, just outside of Tokyo. And uh, it's a sister race to the Boston Marathon. So performing well at Boston means you get invited to this race and travel with the BAA and get all expenses paid. Stay out there for a week. Uh, so I was able to run that race a couple times as a long-distance runner like a 30k is actually a lot more suited than like even a half marathon for me so it's a uh, nice using it as like a basically a setup for marathon training just kind of seeing where i am 30k into a race is exciting but that one in particular it's like there's probably 10,000 japanese runners that are the, the competitive ones are college students so like i i, I was finished fifth both times I was there and like most of the guys that were ahead of me were college kids running 30k distances and the culture out there is like so significantly different than the U.S. Um, as far as running goes and maybe a, a few other aspects but like from what I observed like it was pretty cool to see just like the type of uh, dedication that they had put into like their training like even as like uh, high school kids running 10ks and college kids running uh, up to marathons really was fun for me to see and experience yeah those those academics they do are certainly really exciting so it's uh mm -hmm. they, they, and they have a lot of depth out there so they, they pour a lot of uh, focus into i feel like the especially the roads and, and the marathon yeah specifically, so. well, i was watching the uh, the tokyo marathon just last week and they had like 
probably a 10k 32 japanese marathoners in the chase pack alone running 206 30 pace yeah yeah it goes back to the greg the greg mcmillan kind of mindset you talked about of you know they're yeah they're out there racing they're not they're not trying to pace themselves they're saying yeah just putting it out there i I believe the top japanese finisher was a college senior wow running like 209 maybe 210 yeah it looked like pretty That's... unpleasant weather. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cool. And then, um, yeah, I was. That kind of leads to like your favorite race. And it sounds like racing in Japan is pretty awesome. But if you had a different one, or what would your favorite race be, and, and why? Uh, I bounce back and forth between um, between three: uh, Twin Cities, Boston, and New York, because I've had such good performances there. They all have like special places in my heart. Um, but from just like a more like uh, overall aspect from like the crowds, the culture, the whole like atmosphere leading into the race and then afterwards, like the Boston Marathon is still one of my favorite like just experiences for like a full like week just spending time out there in Boston for that yeah. um, that race and, and event. So I guess let's wrap up with just what's on your horizon. What what do you have coming up? Uh, well, as I mentioned, I've been working forty hours a week. My running <laughs> is actually taking quite a uh, downturn <laughs> because of that. Turn. So the coaching aspect is still like uh, maintaining itself, but like uh, work has been my number one focus recently. So it's kind of taken the back seat, or running has taken the back seat. So I've been actually only running about 50, 60 miles a week at my best. Uh, some weeks are down to 30, so not much is really on the horizon. I keep telling everybody that I still hope and I still want to qualify for the next trials, which I haven't yet, so that's kind of will be a fall race plan and just get myself fit over the summer, just get myself ready for that if I can. Yeah, uh, that's completely understandable, and we'll be uh, keeping an eye on, on how your training's going and, and rooting for you here. Yeah, definitely training for you. Awesome.